0: How far have we come with electric trucks? Hi, I'm Jim Park. Episode 2 of HDT Talks Trucking takes a look at some of the profound changes electric trucks will bring to our industry in the coming years. I did my first test drive on a Class 8 electric truck back in 2015. Since then I've driven a half a dozen of them, and they get better and better with each passing year. We get better range from smaller and lighter battery packs, so more and more people are starting to see battery power as a viable alternative to gasoline, natural gas, and diesel. Joining me in this episode is Jack Roberts. He's the senior editor of Heavy Duty Trucking Magazine. He writes profusely about electric trucks, and he's driven a bunch of them as well. We'll also hear briefly from Bill Combs, the director of Connected Fleets at Penske Transportation Solutions, and Chris Nord, the senior director of advanced vehicle technology at Ryder Systems. We have a couple of thought-provoking audio clips from presentations the pair of them gave at the Bobbitt Business Media's Fleet Forward Conference back in November. Bill and Chris will kick off this conversation, and Jack and I will chime in with a few observations of our own, right after this. This HDT Talks Trucking Podcast is sponsored by Heavy Duty Trucking Exchange. HDTX is a -a one-of-a-kind event for fleets and suppliers that opens doors to long and beneficial business relationships. Join us May 6th, 7th, and 8th in Scottsdale, Arizona for HDTX 2020. So here we go with our second podcast on HDT Talks Trucking. I'm Jim Park, the Equipment Editor here at uh, Heavy Duty Trucking, and we've got Jack Roberts with us. He's the Senior Editor at HDT. And today we're going to kick around electric trucks for a little while. How you doing, Jack? I'm good, Jim. How are you today? Pretty darn good, actually. It's Friday. Life is good, you know? I figured we're going into a new year with a new podcast series. And uh, coming out of 2019, probably one of the biggest recurring news stories or themes in the news and stuff we were writing about last year was electric trucks. So want to get your thoughts on some of the trucks you've driven uh, you know, last year, the year before, just electric trucks and test drives in general. Uh, I've got a few under my belt, you've got a few, so we've probably got some observations there. Uh, first, before we get to uh, our own impressions on uh, on electric trucks, i got a couple of clips I want to play you. Um, these are from the Fleet Forward Conference that happened in San Jose uh, towards the end of November. We had Chris Nord from Ryder and Bill Combs from Penske on stage. I did a panel discussion. I was moderating that one. And these guys were saying some pretty interesting things about electric trucks. So let me play you this clip and then we'll come back and, and talk about what was just said, okay?
1: Sounds good. I think, you know, when you, when you see the ranges up front, when, when battery electric trucks started coming out, a lot of fleets and just kind of the inter- industry thought, well, we can't. We can't live on 100 miles or 130 miles or 200 miles you'd be surprised how many fleets do a lot less than that in a single day mm-hmm. so it is you know up front it's going to be about use case and and fitting the right use cases and fleets with the right equipment and and that's it's not a lot different than before it's just <laughs> a lot more important now to really figure that out but you know there's a lot of applications that could be met with a 100 to 200-mile range in a vehicle. And, yeah. yeah, you're not going to do cross-country trips, but you can do even some regional distribution, even beyond just local pickup and delivery uh, within a city.
0: So we just heard uh, Penske's Bill Combs saying that when you talk about range in electric trucks, people are a little bit anxious about how far they go, but yet a lot of them don't seem to get that their, you know, the routes that they're running aren't usually all that long. He maintains that we can get by with uh um, you know, an adequate day's work out of a truck that'll do 100 to maybe 200 miles total. What do you think about that?
2: I think he's right on. Um, initially, like a lot of people, out like Jim, I was hung up on, on the range of the vehicles, range anxiety. And my thinking on this has has gone through a pretty profound revolution. And a lot of that had to do with my driving the uh, Peterbilt truck with the Dana integrated electric drivetrain, And this was at TMC, I think it was in uh January, February, we were over in Atlanta for the TMC show, and uh Dana uh and Peter Bilt had the truck set up, and we took it around test drives uh in the city. And a couple of things occurred to me. One is that Bill's exactly right, um these trucks go a set distance every day, they generally run the same route day in and day out. And although the OEMs always talk about, well, this truck has X amount of range. That is actually a variable number. It's not like you've got 120 miles and then that's it. It's party's over. As you know, we have regen braking systems on the vehicles. So if you're in a hilly, hilly subdivision like we were driving this truck in Atlanta, you can actually watch the range on the vehicle slide up and down in real time. It's actually not carved in stone. When I was driving that truck,
0: we were making fuel. Yeah, going exactly. Down hills. Exactly, exactly. I going to come you home may, with more
2: fuel than I started with. Right. So, uh, you know, if you're in a completely – if you're in Minot, North Dakota, where there's no hills and everything's perfectly flat, yeah, the truck will probably do 120 miles and then come to a complete grinding halt. But if you're in a place where you're doing a lot of braking, coming up to traffic lights, going down hills, letting the system capture energy, you know, you might be talking about 200 miles a day, uh, 250 before the truck uh, – is done. So I, I've kind of rethought the range anxiety thing. And I think a lot of this basically comes from, we've all been coached, you know, I'm, I'm of a certain age, you're of a certain age. We grew up in a time where you had basically unlimited range in any vehicle you got in, uh, provided every 300, 400, 500 miles, you stopped, put fuel in and you continued your journey. This is a different beast. This is a different animal. But unless something strange, bizarre, extreme, different pops up, you're not going to need to do those things. You need that truck to go X amount of miles day in and day out. And so far, nothing I've seen has led me to believe these vehicles cannot do that dependably, efficiently, every single day you need them to. You know, yeah, if you're a long haul guy or if you're someone whose business model is you just don't know what the morning is going to bring you in terms of where goods are going and how far you've got to go, then an electric truck is not for you. But if you're in a short haul, short regional, urban pickup and delivery, package delivery, parcel delivery application where you know truck 4517 goes 93 miles day in and day out, then there's no reason, in my opinion, you shouldn't be looking at an electric truck for that application. It makes an awful lot of sense One well, of the to other me. things
0: that came up in that conversation at the Fleet Forward Conference was uh, vehicle depreciation. Uh, more more to the point, how we're going to pay for these things, how long they're going to last in real life, and, and how we're going to look at the uh, total life cycle cost of these vehicles. Now, I've heard it said before. Uh, actually, let me play this clip, and then uh, we'll come back to it. So here's here's Chris Nord from Ryder with his thoughts on uh, depreciation and uh, the life cycle cost of these vehicles. Uh,
1: the, the other aspect is depreciation, which is something that Bill and I were actually just talking about earlier and how to really figure that out. The interesting thing about you know this, this transition from internal combustion products to EVs is that EVs are meant to last much longer. That's what everybody says. That's what the evidence is based on consumer products. And so do we change the entire life cycle of fleets? And what are the implications of that? Now, instead of a five year lease cycle, maybe we need to start looking at 10 year lease cycles because there's a reason why we stop it on the diesel side at five years because running costs basically go parabolic uh, on a per mile basis. So we've optimized that equation and get rid of vehicles pretty early in their life. Whereas the electric vehicles, uh, running costs are supposed to continue to remain smooth. That means all of a sudden that you're gonna have seats that wear out before the motors do. And what do you do then? And so there's all these implications that we just haven't seen the data for. So banks are gonna have trouble lending you money based on these kinds of new concepts and terms. Um, so it's, it's something that most companies are being very conservative about right now. Um, but there is going to be um, customers that are going to gain the benefit of that by having models where they're okay running vehicles for 10 years instead of five years.
0: So, listening to what Chris was saying there, uh, what I take from that is that we're going to have to have a really good look at how we structure these lease uh, plans for electric trucks, how we structure the payments. Uh, We have no idea going forward because nobody's actually traded one in or sold it yet, but what they're going to be worth in the secondary market. But Chris made a really interesting point about what the life cycle of these vehicles are. He suggested that, you know, we're going to have uh, trucks that or trucks whose seats wear out before their motors and drive lines do. If these trucks start lasting five to ten years, that's going to have a pretty profound effect on people like truck dealers and repair shops who, you know, built a lot of their business model around you know, a good portion of those trucks are going to have to come in, back in sometime during their life for repairs and parts, et cetera, et cetera. Et cetera. So what kind of adjustments do you think the industry is going to have to make? I think it's going to be profound. And I heard, I heard Scott Perry, when he was with Ryder, uh, saying the same thing. This is going back maybe three years ago now. Uh, he was looking at his own operation there at Ryder and saying, well, you know, we've got a whole infrastructure built up around repairing and servicing our trucks. Uh, he was asking the question then, suddenly, what do we do if uh, we don't need to fix and repair trucks anymore? That's going to be a, a very big change for the industry to swallow.
2: Yeah, and I think it goes much much broader than that, Jim. Because you know I've sat in conferences, and you're already see, you're already seeing some of this on the aviation side, and my understanding is that it's moving into the ag equipment side too. Let let's step back and let's look at diesel engines and even gasoline engines at, at uh, for a moment. You know, you're talking about incredibly complex proprietary. Uh, algorithms and fuel control systems and electronic uh, engine control management systems. And, you know, you've got Volvo with their piston wave injection systems. There's all kinds of innovative proprietary technology going on now that a lot of those manufacturers do not want to let their manufacturers uh, know about. You remember, David McKenna, who you know very well, who was with Mac for years and years and was just a fabulous, fabulous guy and a great guy to interview. He said, you know, you wouldn't ask Kentucky Fried Chicken to give up the 11 herbs and spices and you wouldn't give up, uh, you know, wouldn't ask Coca-Cola to give up the formula for the drink. And, you know, why should we give up our algorithms for, you know, our fuel injection patterns and all this other stuff? So there's already talk on the diesel and gasoline side of the equation of, well, you know what, maybe you buy a chassis and you buy a cab and then you lease the powertrain from us and we do all the service. And, you know, uh, if something goes wrong, we'll just swap out the engine of the transmission. And then, you know, you start looking at when people start talking about Uber and ride sharing and autonomous vehicles, you know, they're already talking about the death of car dealerships because, you know, millennials don't really care about owning vehicles the way our generations and the generations before us did. Uh, they just soon died. We, we love our muscle cars. So, yeah, I mean, I think that when you're conceivably looking at at business models for repair shops, uh dealerships, um, the whole concept of vehicle ownership could be turned on his head. And this is this electric truck example is just one example of what could be sweeping sweeping changes throughout our society, both business model, um, how we perceive vehicle ownership. Yeah, I, I think um, I think he's all over it. Everything could potentially be up for pretty sweeping changes in the next few years. And yes, uh, when you look at the ownership models for trucks, assuming all this stuff plays out the way we think it, it will, and I, I referenced a while ago, you know, you could take your truck in after six years, swap the battery packs out, update your uh, engine, your powertrain management software, and you might actually have a, a truck that performs better than the day that you bought it. And that's unheard of for a diesel truck or a gasoline truck. And yeah, you know, sounds like you'll have to put a new seat in as well. But, you know, talk about, you know, the ultimate in sustainability and green, environmentally friendly products, you know, a truck that instead of, uh, you know, turning it in after it's completely worn out and it gets sold for parts and all that, you just continually upgrade it, continually keep it in, in service. I mean, you might be talking about trucks that could last 25, 30 years before they finally get sent out to pasture.
0: Let's take a short break here at this point. Uh, Just to remind you, I'm speaking with uh, HDT Senior Editor Jack Roberts. We're going over some of the things we learned about electric trucks back in 2019. We'll have more, including some of our experiences and observations after test driving electric trucks. We'll be back with Jack in just a moment. I'm Jim Park. This is HDT Talks Trucking. Heavy Duty Trucking Exchange is put on by Heavy Duty Trucking Magazine and our host suppliers. Our editors have decades of experience with trucking fleets, and we've used that insight to develop an event that you'll find truly worthwhile. If you qualify, we'll bring you and a few dozen other fleet managers to a luxury resort in Scottsdale, Arizona, for a jam-packed session of networking, education, and fun. It all happens in a friendly, intimate environment that lets you build relationships and bring home ideas that you can put to work, making your business more successful. Go to heavydutytruckingexchange.com to learn more and to apply for your spot at HDTX 2020.
2: Hey, this is Jack Roberts. I'm Senior Editor with Heavy Duty Trucking Magazine, and I'm here with the best truck driver I personally know our equipment editor, Jim Park. And uh, Jim, we've driven some electric trucks. I think you've got a few, a little more time behind the wheel of these than I do. But um, I was blown away when I, when I drove one. And I wrote a blog back in uh, January, February. And I said, you know, if you were just coming to this fresh, uh, if you had an urban delivery route in a major city, and again, I'm talking about the Dana, uh, the Peterbilt, uh truck that was equipped i think it was a oh what model was it what's their uh 220 ev
0: the 220 220,
2: yeah it was the 220 exactly and i said you know if you just came to this fresh i don't know why in the world you wouldn't seriously consider this truck uh I, i was blown away it was quiet it was powerful it accelerated great um i thought it was just a really really nice solid truck what about you what do you think
0: I'll I'll be honest with you, that particular test drive around Atlanta back there, it was during TMC when I got to drive it, uh, the Saturday before TMC started. That's Um, when it was. I was, you know, I've said blown away a few times in in relation to other test drives I'd done, but uh, I I finished that one up shaking my head going, like, what are we waiting for? Uh, every, (laughs) Every truck in the country should be like this. Super quiet, as you said, made no noise at all. Uh, driving around Atlanta, we were I was over in a hilly section, so um, we had the opportunity to uh, do lots of regenerative braking. Uh, I, know, I said earlier, and it was true, we were going down hills, and the uh, the reserve capacity in the battery on the little gauge on the truck was showing higher than it was when we started the trip. You know, the route we started from a hotel or in downtown. So I'm thinking, yeah, we're making energy doing this, um,
2: and we didn't know how to drive. Imagine what you no, could do with no. a little coaching. And once you'd been behind the wheel, had a few weeks, and you knew, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna grab a certain percentage of energy on this series of hills. You know,
0: you know what I mean. We we were we were collecting energy, and we were just we were coming to this cold that day. Well, I got thinking that a driver this is exactly with the line you're going down. A driver who knew what he was doing or she was doing. Would be able to, you know, coast into a traffic light using the regen braking rather than the brake pedal. Uh, design a route so that you start high and finish low at the end of the day. So you're going downhill as much as possible all day, making energy. Using every opportunity possible to, uh, to uh, you know, preserve your battery charge. And a 100-mile battery, I think Harry Trost said it, you know, that day and, you know, we saw it on the gauge. Could easily become a hundred and fifty mile battery under those circumstances. Maybe not in Minot, North Dakota, like you say, but um, in 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 cities where the opportunity exists. I think uh, you know a situation like that where you're 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 producing energy as you as you go along. It really extends the range and eases the driver's concerns about not getting home that night. But overall, I mean, the, it was quiet. You know, zero emissions at the truck. I'm not going to talk about upstream. That's another story. But yeah. Uh, you could go anywhere in the city at any time, night or day and not bother anybody. You'd have nobody chasing you going, Hey, get that noisy, smelly old truck out of my neighborhood. Cause they wouldn't even know it was there. They wouldn't hear it coming. Well, you know, I did an interview with, uh, the sanitation department of New York, uh, that Mack trucks
2: set up for me again, earlier this year. And the sanitation commissioner, there is a guy named Rocky DiRocco, who I'm sure you've talked to <laughs> and yes. he is, he is a great guy. interview. Yes, but you know he told me he said, "Look, you know it's New York City. Trash pickup starts at what four a.m., five a.m." He said, "You know now I'm cutting the diesel noise out of the out of the equation. Our residents can get get a little more rest, a little more sleep. You'll you'll still hear the arms and the hydraulics and that sort of stuff, but." One of the things he really drove home to me was he says, this is going to be a safer vehicle in a city that is crowded with bicyclists and pedestrians and taxi cabs. He says, my guys can hear what's going on outside of the cab. They can talk to somebody, whether it's another co-worker, a pedestrian, a civilian. They can they can have a conversation. He said, you know, he was excited about it because he's got very stringent emission standards he's got to meet. I think it was by 2030. But he said, you know, for me, the safety aspect of this vehicle is just as compelling as the environmental performance. So, you know, it's a different – it's a little – you know, every now and these trucks are so quiet that um, every now and then you'll hear people go, well, it's too quiet. I can't hear it coming. They're going to run me over. And that's actually – you know, they make about as much noise as a golf cart. Uh, yep when you're up close to him and it's 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 kind of stupefying like you said to see a peterbilt model 220 and it is literally as quiet as a golf cart going down the road until you get you know get close enough and you hear the rush of the wind from something that big that's a completely you know different different animal but there's no powertrain noise whatsoever and it's 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 amazing really
0: well you know speaking of noise uh the first electric vehicle i drove was back in 2015 it was at the uh, ACT conference out in Long Beach, and it was a TransPower truck. Um, they'd had a international ProStar uh, glider kitted to uh, accommodate their own electric drivetrain. At the time, it was rated, I think, for 80 miles. It had 4,000 pounds of batteries on board and a four-speed Eaton modified transmission. It did the job. There was absolutely no question that that truck had a future, But you talk about noisy every squeak and rattle and you know whistle that you could hear that you normally couldn't hear with a diesel was now seemingly amplified by the fact that there was no engine noise so all i could hear was the squeaks and rattles a bit of gear train noise from the transmission and uh, the wind going by the windows i've heard some people various oes talking about some artificial noise generating machine they're going to have to put on these things cars and trucks I don't know if there's been too many uh, instances of pedestrians hit by silent electric vehicles yet, uh, but it's bound to happen, and somebody's going to well, come up you know, saying, Jim, well, you we need to put in a, some noise in maker age, on there.
2: We live in an age where we all walk around looking at our
0: phones at the same time that, you know,
2: completely <laughs> yeah, walking through vehicles. Traffic. What could possibly go wrong, right? What could
0: possibly go wrong, exactly. So listen, just put your short-term hat on for a second. Tell me where you figure the market will be this time next year, the end of 2020.
2: I think... <sighs> If, if the teasers that you and I receive from the OEMs and the people and the friends in the industry that we talk to uh, pan out, I think we'll actually have some real world verifiable data on hand this time next year where we'll have fleet managers saying, yeah, we've run them. They did this. We did this. Uh, we were surprised about this. We were surprised. This went better than we thought. Uh, I think we'll. I think we'll be starting to get some some hard data back on. Uh, are these trucks going to be able to live up to what Jack and Jim think they're capable of? Um, I'll be surprised if they don't. But uh, you know, you and I, you know, running a couple laps around a block in Atlanta is not the same thing as day in and day out pounding the pavement. You know, getting moving no, packages, going through a Christmas season, they're going to get wore out. They're gonna, they're gonna, they're gonna have to run the gauntlet. But I think, and it, it'll be preliminary this time next year. We'll be getting the first real world data back, and uh, you know, I think you know it would be very interesting about this time next year to do another podcast and go, well, you know, here's what we've learned. So. Um, you know, I think, I think we're going to, you know, we're going to find out if you and I know what we're, what in the hell we're talking about, basically.
0: <laughs> Always afraid of being proven wrong, but I don't think that's going to happen this time around. All right, Jack, it was great having you on the podcast this time. Man, I can't wait to do it again.
2: Always fun. Um, wish we could get another super truck test drive like that when we did a few years back. We need to do that again one day too. Well, maybe the next what we do will be
0: an electric super truck.
2: Well, I'm sure that some kind OEM out there will listen to this podcast and decide that's exactly what they need to do. So I'll just wait for the phone to ring. How
0: about you? Perfect. Works for me, man. Take care, Jack. (laughs) Appreciate having you aboard here. Thank you, sir. Thank you. HTT Talks Trucking was brought to you by Heavy Duty Trucking Exchange, an intimate networking event that takes place May 6th, 7th, and 8th in Scottsdale, Arizona. Go to heavydutytruckingexchange.com to hear what past attendees took home from the event and to apply to be our guest at HDTX 2020. HDT Talks Trucking is produced by Deb Lockridge, recording an audio production by Jim Park. Heavy-Duty Trucking Magazine, the Fleet Business Authority, is published by Bobbitt Business Media. Leave a web browser open on your computer to truckinginfo.com for up-to-the-minute industry news as well as feature articles, videos, photo galleries, White Papers, and our ever-popular editor blogs. You can leave questions and comments on the HDT Talks Trucking homepage. That's truckinginfo.com slash podcasts. Please rate and review the show in Apple Podcasts. It helps other listeners to find us. Thanks to my guest, Jack Roberts, and our sponsor, Heavy Duty Trucking Exchange. I'm Jim Park. Thanks to you for listening.